Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you for those kind words, Pastor, and thank you to this church for suffering with us with our three children and being patient with us. We appreciate that. And I do want to say uh, very sincerely that um, we've heard other parents and other churches and talk about how difficult it is with children. And I've always been able to say that our church is so loving and so kind, and you guys have all been through it yourselves, and you are so kind to our family, and we thank you for that. Uh, I remember, a, I don't know if it was a friend that told me this. Somebody told me when we had two kids that you should just have us, keep having them. Once you have two, there's, there's really no difference. That was false. Um, in case anybody's planning their families. It's not true. We had to go from man defense to zone defense now. So it, it changes things, changes things quite a bit. And, uh, and we thank you. Yes, we have had some hospital visits. And we thank you for your prayers. The last one, me and Bree were a little embarrassed. And we were, we were driving to Children's. And we said, we're just, we're just not going to text anybody right, right away. We're not going to tell anybody right away. We, we will eventually, of course. But it was like right before church. It was a Wednesday night. And we're like, they're getting ready for church, and we'll, we'll text everybody once we know more details. We get to Children's Hospital, and we walk in the ER, and what are the odds? We've been to Children's many times, and the room is always full. This time we show up to Children's Hospital, there's, not, there's, there's one person. There's exactly one person in the waiting room, and it was Sister Shostram. And so as we walk by, she's like, do you want me to text pastor? I'm like, yeah, go ahead. And then, and so anyway, but thank you. The Lord's been good nevertheless, and he's brought us through all of that. Um, so, and it is good to be here. We're so thankful. Uh, I'm so thankful for the opportunity, and thank you to pastor and sister Shostran for allowing me to be here and to be able to speak to this church, um, and it's good to have to have the youth up here um, with us as well. Um, I want to talk. I was searching and praying and trying to hear from the Lord and get direction of, of what, uh, what he would have me to speak on. And I feel like the Lord, I, I searched a lot of different scriptures and a lot of different verses, and there was one verse in particular and one set of scriptures that I felt that God just say, just go into it. Just go verse by verse. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. And it's going to be out of Colossians. I'm going to focus in Colossians chapter 3, um, verses 5, 12 through 17. I'm going to start with verse 5 through 11, just kind of as my intro here. But this is where it's a familiar scripture um, and a familiar lesson that Paul teaches many times in, in his letters, and he's talking about the new man uh, and putting away the old man and putting on the new man in Christ, the new person that we become at the new birth. But specifically in this uh, portion of scripture. And he talks about it in Ephesians, he talks about it in Romans, he talks about it in uh, Philemon, he talks about it several times, but specifically here, he's talking about the new man in relation with the church body as a whole. How we as born-again uh, creatures, born-again, full of the Holy Spirit, how we should uh, react, what attributes we should have, how we should um, handle different situations, but as a church body, not just individually, but corporately. So I'm going to start with verse 5 through 11, and we're going to read about the old man first, and then we'll get to the new man. So verse 5 starts off with, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil 
con concupiscence, ooh, can't talk, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Again, this is all the old man, and the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these. Then he starts talking about more of the emotion side, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Verse 9, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So this happens at that new birth. When we first come to the Lord, we first repent, we're baptized, we're filled with the Holy Ghost, we put away that old man and we are putting on the new man. But this is not something that we can just do once, as we've heard time and time again. Uh, you can't rely on your experience one time to get you through your current situations. You have to continually do this. Paul talks about it in other times daily. You have to continually make the decision that I'm going to crucify that old person and I'm going to put on the new man. I'm going to put on Christ. And verse 11 says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And what Paul is, is hammering home there is there is no other division anymore. There is no, it doesn't matter what family status you are born in. doesn't matter what race. doesn't matter your location, your geographic location. doesn't matter anything. All that matters is when you are born again, you are now a new man, a new creature in Christ. Amen? And it changes you. It changes everything about you, and we talk about how it changes you on the inside, and then it works its way to the outside, and it's a continual progress of working towards perfection. And a part of that is how we relate to one another, how we get along as a church body, because we don't get along like the world gets along. Jesus talks about it in, in the New Testament. He talks about how you know, when some of the disciples were kind of jockeying for who was going to be more powerful than the other, Jesus mentioned and said, you know, that's the way the world operates. That's not the way my church operates. So we need to operate like that. So I'm going to, I'm going to start by doing a little bit of an activity. So I, I talked to five of our young people already. I'm going to ask you guys to come up now, and they're going to do a little bit of a challenge. Um, I don't see my number five, so Ava, I'm going to call on you. So you don't know what's happening. That's okay. It'll be fun. Neither do they. Come on up, Ava. <laughs> um, Noah, if you want to bring the table up here. Yeah, perfect. So this is a challenge I used to do in my class uh, when, I, when I taught in middle school. My first day of class, I would put all the kids in groups, and I made them do this little challenge, okay? So can I borrow that for a second? So Ava, pay attention, because these four already know about it. Um, this is just a rubber band tool, and I had Sister McKenzie and Clutch here make this for me. She took some ribbons, and she made five little strings out of the ribbons, and so this is what I call a rubber band tool. Each one of them are going to be able to hold one of these strings. I'm going to give that to you guys. You guys can go ahead and start figuring that out. But one, they each get one string, and they have to work together to pull the string to open up the rubber band. And then I have here way too many cups. So let me lower these. Hold on.
I'm already making it easier than I did with my students. Uh, there are six cups, and they're going to stack them in a pyramid, okay? And we're all going to watch them. Isn't that really uncomfortable for them? Isn't that great? All right, go ahead. So they're going to begin to work together. I should have planned some music or something. Didn't think, okay, so all, somebody's playing something. All five of them have to work together. And they have to communicate. I don't know if you can see from where you're sitting. You probably can't. But in order to open the rubber band, all five, if one of them doesn't open the rubber band, or if they don't pull their string, it doesn't open wide enough. And now they're trying to slowly put it down. <laughs> okay. Once they're all around the cup, they all have to let go at the same time, and then they have to place it together, and then they have to let go again. How do we do? All right, can we give them a round of applause? All right, thank you guys. You can just set that back down over there, and thank you. So the point of this exercise, and in my class, I, I had them do it in groups of, or six different groups. I turned it into a competition. They had like five or six different challenges. They had to keep working together. And what's really fun is when they drop a cup because they have to actually all together move to the floor and pick it up and all that. So thank you again for doing that. But the point of that little exercise is they have to work together. And we talk about how we work as a team um, in my classroom, but here at the church it's going to relate, and I'm going to relate it in these verses here. But they have to work together if one person... Uh, drops their string, or for whatever reason they're not participating, they're not able to complete their task. It takes all of them. And if somebody happens to be, and sometimes we would have groups that didn't have five people, they would have three or four people, and so somebody would have to take on extra load. And they'd have to say, okay, I'm going to pick this up for you, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to pick up extra slack in order to complete this task. They have to communicate with one another. They have to share and say, okay, hey, everybody, and you guys probably couldn't hear some of that, but there was some of that happening. Or they say, okay, everybody go ahead and let go at the same time. They have to let go, and it, the rubber band would collect on the cup, uh, and then they'd have to move it together and say, okay, now we have it placed just where we want it. Go ahead now and un undo it. So they have to work together. They have to communicate, and that's how they can accomplish their task. And it's the same way spiritually. It's the same way as a church. It's the same way as a body. We can't be turning against each other. And in my classroom, they would turn against each other. You would have a group of kids, and somebody would mess up, and the whole thing would fall. And what would happen is a kid would turn and say, come on, you're not doing your part. And they would, start to, they would start to bicker and fight with one another and not work well together. And they would never complete the task. As soon as they started to turn on each other, they weren't able to complete their task anymore because they weren't working together. They weren't forgiving one another. They weren't giving grace to one another. They weren't showing the fruits of the Spirit with one another, and that's what it takes. And that's what we're going to get into. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. So now we're talking about putting on the new man. So Colossians 3, 12 says, put on, therefore. So I'm going to stop. I'm going to go real slow with all these verses. So put on. You have to literally put on Christ. He uses that verse, that phrasing many times. But you have to make a choice that I'm going to put on his righteousness. I'm going to put on, so you clothe yourself with these attributes that he's going to talk about. He says, therefore. So that word therefore is there for a reason. And he's referring back to the previous verse. Why? Because Christ 
is all in all. If Christ is going to be your all in all, if Christ is going to be your direction, if Christ is going to be uh, the reason why uh, you do what you do, then therefore you're going to put on Christ. You're going to put on these attributes. It says, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. The elect of God is plural. We know many are called, but few are chosen. We know this many times. The call of God goes out to everybody, but how you become the elect is you do what this says. You say, I'm going to put on Christ. I'm going to follow after his word. I'm going to choose. Many are called, but few are chosen. The choice is ours. The choice is ours to be the elect, that I'm going to follow God. And it says, uh, holy and beloved, and then it starts going into these attributes. And all of these attributes are related to, to how we interact with others. It's not just individualistic attributes, but they're connected to interpersonal relationships. So it starts with uh, bowels of mercy. Uh, that sounds a little odd to us today. In the Old Testament, or I guess in the New Testament, but back then, bowels of mercy, that was re- related to um, endearment or, or like the seat of emotions, much like we would say the heart is today. So you could consider that as the heart of mercies. Another um, scripture or another version of this would translate that as tender mercies. And, or another translation would say compassion. Having compassion for each other. Having compassion for the body of believers. Remember, we're talking about a church and, the, and how we have uh, compassion with each other. So um, having on these tender mercies, and it goes on and says kindness or, or goodness is another way to in- interpret that. Humbleness, humility um, of mind, meekness, and long-suffering, having patience with one another. These are the attributes that God wants from us that we have to harbor and, and develop when we have the new man. We read all the, all the terrible things that the old man has that's in all of us in our flesh, but these are the attributes that describe the new man and how we react and how we respond as a church uh, when going through trials, when going through struggles, okay? Next verse, Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. This is the one that I felt when I read it, I just, it, it was like a gut punch for me. It says, forbearing one another. That's why he gave us a church. That's why he gave us each other. We were not meant to do life alone. We were not meant to try to handle your burden alone because the burden is just too great for many times. And, and our church is so, so wonderful about doing this. We just experienced it just a few moments ago when people came up to the front and said, I can't handle this alone. I need prayer. And our church never leaves someone at the altar alone. We surround, we pray for one another, we bear with one another. That's forbearing. We lift each other up. We lift each other's burdens. Uh, we can only do that by exercising those five attributes from earlier. Having that, having that patience, having that long-suffering, having that kindness, having that, that uh, humility, not, not to promote any of our names, not for pride, not to boast, none of that. We have to have humility. We have to do all these things to lift one another up and to carry each other's burdens. When, when one of us is hurting, we're all hurting. When one of us has faults, when one of us has weaknesses, that's where the church comes in and we lift one another up. Um, another scripture, Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 2, says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou be tempted. Verse 2 
bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's why we need, we need each other to lift the burdens off of one another. Bear each other, bear with each other your burdens. If you want to put back up Colossians 3.15. And so he starts off with that in this scripture. He starts off with forbearing one another. So lifting each other up, okay? And then right in the same sentence, he goes straight into, I think Paul, I think Paul had been in ministry long enough that he understood what the very first roadblock to that is going to be. People are happy to help each other out and lift each other's burdens, but he said, you know what, I've seen people and how people act around one another, and somebody's going to get hurt at some point. So in the very same sentence, he says, and forgive one another. It says, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. It's easy to, to love one another. It's easy to be with one another, to support one another, until somebody gets hurt. Somebody crosses a boundary. Some, somebody does something, and I'm not saying anything it very well could be a legitimate hurt. And somebody legitimately could have done something wrong. But he tells us to forgive, to have that, for, to live in forgiveness. And that's a choice. And it's very hard to do. It's very hard to do. But he said, he doesn't even talk about, in this scripture, he doesn't even talk about the other person. He doesn't say, forgive them when they ask for forgiveness. He doesn't say, forgive them when they've shown themselves that they were sorrowful and that they've, you know, repented and they're going to turn. They're not going to do that anymore. He doesn't say that. He just says, I know you're going to get hurt at one point or another. Somebody's going to cross something. There's going to be an expectation you're going to have, and it's, something's not going to be, get met. But I'm asking you to just overlook and be forgiving as a church. Be forgiving to one another. And then he goes on and explains. Uh, sorry, stay, that, stay there in verse 13. He goes on and explains that just like Christ forgave you. And, and that one, that's, that's hard to um, have any comeback to that. <laughs> Because Jesus forgave us. When, when I think of, of what I did to deserve his forgiveness, nothing. I didn't do anything to deserve his forgiveness. But yet he freely gave it. He freely gave his forgiveness. He freely gave mercy to me. And because he did that, who am I to not freely forgive others? Whether or not they've asked for forgiveness, he goes on, and he says in verse 13, he says, just like Christ did. Well, if you really think about that, just as Christ forgave you, what did Christ do? Christ suffered. Christ went to the cross. He suffered a, a death that he did not deserve. He took a penalty that he did not deserve. Why? Because he loved us. Because he forgave us. And he fully knew that there, is a, there are people that are not going to take advantage of that forgiveness. There are people who are never going to repent. There are people who are not going to turn. They're not going to say they're sorry. They're not going to try. But I love them anyway that I am going to suffer. If we're going to forgive and, and have mercy like God forgives, first of all, you can't do that by yourself. Right? 
That's very, very hard to do. It's very hard to, to say, well, you don't understand what's happened. You don't understand what the past has been. You don't understand what kind of hurt. And you're right. And I believe you. But just like Christ forgave. Because it doesn't do any good to hold on to those feelings. It doesn't do any good to hold on to grudges. It doesn't do any good for you personally to still be upset with someone. But that's why Paul was saying to be quick to forgive. Forgive just like, just like God forgave you. And, and I, I'm going to read this because I, I was studying this and I read this from one of the one of the coordinates and I thought this, this is so powerful to me. It says, although others have a resp- of course, others have a responsibility to rectify their wrong, to apologize, etc., Regardless of whether they do or they don't, we have to protect our hearts. We have to protect our hearts from holding grudges, from retaliating or or seeking revenge. Remember, that's the old man. That's what the old man would do. That's what the world would do. But not seeking revenge. Instead, we must maintain loving and have a loving attitude towards them. And this can only be done through prayer and God's grace. But it can be done. It can be not by your own will, not by your own might, but if you will submit yourself, if you will do what the previous verse said, put on Christ. If you'll make a decision and say, God, I'm going I'm to put on that new man, that man that came up out of the water and you filled with the Holy Ghost. Today, I'm going to put on that new man and I'm going I'm to forgive those who have hurt me. I'm going to forgive those, um, the Bible says, despitefully used you. I'm going to forgive them. And you know what? You will be released by that. You'll get the victory. You'll get the power by doing that, by, by forgiving them. And that's what Paul was trying to say was, it does, it, don't even worry. Don't wait for an apology. Don't, don't even ask for an apology. Don't, don't even go there. Just forgive them because you can do that through God's grace. And then he reminds us uh, of, our own, um, of our own sin and, our, and how God has forgiven us and freely forgiven us. And I, I've seen, I'm sure many of you have seen, I've seen a lot of posts on, on social media. I, I, I see people call this... Um, when people get hurt or offended, something take pl- takes place and they're hurt and offended, and it happens to happen in the church. They've given a name for it. It's called church hurt. Has anybody else heard people refer to church hurt? And, and I am not trying to, I don't want to minimalize anybody and anybody's experiences, and I'm certainly not talking about, I know spiritual abuse exists. I know there have been cases of that. That's not where, I, it's not what I'm talking about here. I'm thankful that we have fantastic leadership in our church. I'm thankful that we have a pastor who loves us, um, who, who wants what's best for us. I'm thankful for all of that. But I just find it so interesting that wherever people are, people are going to be hurt. And yet, I never see a post about work hurt. I never see a post or people complaining and putting a little fancy hashtag that says friends hurt or family hurt or home life hurt, or school hurt, whatever. But there's a deliberate spiritual attack against the church and tries to pin all, all that anger and all that, and you know, something took place and you got hurt in the church, and it tries to, tries to get, people's, get people's emotions tied into turning against the church or turning against God. And you know what? You will be hurt because people are people. And that's what Paul was trying to say here is you will be hurt. People will make mistakes. I'm not excusing that. 
And there's other scriptures that talks about where what, what should happen if, if, people, if uh, people have offenses in the church, etc. And we should follow those. But ultimately, the choice is ours whether or not we're going to harbor ill feelings. Whether or not we're going to allow a root of bitterness to take root in our lives. Whether or not we're going to allow some, something that happened to start to neg- negatively impact how I worship God. How I come to church and how I, how I fellowship with his, with his body. We have to make a stand. We have to make a decision that, you know what, no matter what, I'm serving God. No matter what, I'm going to put on that new, that new man and how I interact with the church. Amen? Amen. So, he, he talks right with, he says, forbearing one another, lifting each other up, lifting each other's burdens. And by the way, be ready to forgive. Be ready to forgive. Okay, next verse. Colossians 3.14 says, And above all these things, so the outer layer of the clothing. Remember, we're putting on Christ here. The outer layer, above all these things, put on charity. Or other versions would write love there. Put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. It's the glue that holds everything together. When you love enough, then everything I've said before, you can accomplish. And the best way I could think of this is think about with family. Most people will allow and forgive their family for things that you would not forgive other people for. Or you wouldn't at least allow people to get away with. But because, well, that's my brother, that's my sister, that's, that's my mom, that's my child. Because it's my family, because I love them, I'm willing to forgive. I'm willing to move past. I'm willing, well, it's the same way here. We have to have love. Above all these things, we have to love one another. And that ties into everything else. That gives us that compassion. That gives us the patience for one another. That gives us the ability to forgive. We have to love. That, that word at the end, that perfectness. It, is, it comes from the same root word of perfect that is used earlier in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 says, Whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now that is a high standard, that perfect. And that will ultimately only be achieved when we, when we meet the Lord in heaven. But as we live, and that's, that's the challenge, that's the process, the daily life of a, of a Christian is to put on that new man and to continually work and towards that perfection. Uh, and we do that by putting on love, by having love for God and by ha- having love for one another. Love is the glue. It's what bonds all of those graces, all of those virtues that is already previously ta- uh, mentioned um, into that perfectness. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 2 says that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and the Father and of Christ. That love, that, that is the putting on of the new man, as being, is that outer layers having that love. And then Colossians 3.15. Colossians 3.15 then says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. And there, and there he's tying it all into the body. He's tying it all into the church. But it says, let the peace of God rule. That word rule there, uh, if you look at the meaning of that, it means to umpire or to judge, to guide you. And basically, the, my understanding or what I took from that is when we are faced with choices and decisions and when you are trying to 
be an umpire calling balls and strikes, when you're trying to decide how to uh, operate, the defining or the deciding factor needs to be peace. It says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. So being able to have peace, not to be backbiting one another, not to be, well, and in the old man, it talked about pridefulness, it talked about anger, it talked about malice, it talked about all these different things, and that's how the world would operate. We're going we're gonna to settle this based on whoever's the most outraged, whoever's the most angry, or whoever, or I, I want my way because I, I'm prideful, and I, I had my idea, and so we're going to go with my idea, or we're going to do this. But what Colossians 3.15 is saying is, let the peace of God Everything we do as a body, as a church, we need to, let, we need to decide what, is the, what will allow God's peace to move in this situation. What will be the peaceful choice? Let the peace of God rule in our hearts, to which we are called, again, one body. We are many parts, but we are one body. We operate together. We operate in, in singleness of mind, and we are all united in Christ. We have that divine peace. And that's, you know, in, in that, that cup game, that cup exercise that we did if they decided to, to not have peace, if they decided to uh, yell at one another, I can't imagine they would do that here. But in my classroom, I promise you, I had groups that would do that. They would bicker and they would argue and they would, they would, they would strife. And one would say, let's go, let's go over here. And the other guy, no, 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 I want to go over here. And they would literally let their own pride get in the way of this very silly game that we would do. Uh, but that's how the world operates. But when we let peace of God, and we say we're one body, so we've got to operate together, we've got to work together, we've got to move together, that's how, that's how the new man operates as a church. In verse 16, Colossians 3.16, I underlined this and I just wrote how. This is how we can do everything. Everything that's been said up to this point says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts and to the Lord. This is giving us some practical how we can do those things. We have to be saturated in the Word of God. We have to, that's why one of the reasons why we're doing the 40 Days of Fire and we're reading the Word of God as a church. We, we want the, the Word of God, we want the, the, uh, the, the Bible to direct us, to give us wisdom, to give us a direction as we operate, as we move, as we start into this year, as we start into 2024. We want God to direct us. We need his voice um, to do that. Psalms 119 verse 11, I didn't put it up there, and that's fine. It says, the word, thy word have I hid in my heart. Thy word have I had. If we can hide the word of God, if we could memorize it and put it deep in our heart and allow that to, uh, to just saturate in us, then it says it will make us rich in wisdom. The word makes us rich in wisdom. Uh, then Paul, he then goes on and starts talking about uh, teaching and sing singing. At the end of that verse, uh, Colossians 3.16 still says... Um, yeah, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So it talks about music and, uh, and using that. So we have, uh, tells, this tells us that singing can serve for both to edify the body, which of course we know. We know the words that we use, the songs we sing. It's to edify, of course we're singing to worship God, to praise God, but it's to edify the body as well, to, to edify one another. So it serves two purposes. Um, and then and it goes on in psalms, and a psalm just means a song set to music. We don't, it talks at the end, singing with grace in your hearts, to whom? To the Lord. So it gives us some practical instructions there at the end. So 
how do we sing? So first of all, we sing with grace in our heart. We sing unto an audience of one. We sing unto the Lord. We don't sing to be entertainment to each other. We don't sing. Sister Shostran would give us this um, talk about every special, uh, I'll call it a performance. It's not a performance, but special uh, opportunity that requires singing at Christmas or at, at Easter time. And this is not a performance. This is not a concert except for to him. We're not trying to impress anybody else, but we're trying to impress God. We're singing to God. We're singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. Uh, our youth, a couple weeks ago, we had our youth revival, and they've been, they were singing and playing up here. They've been singing and playing in our, on our Wednesday night class for a long time, and they've been growing, and they've been getting better and better, and there was one week during, it was like December, because I remember the junior hires weren't over there. The junior hires were getting ready for the Christmas um, play over in the Sunday school. So we just had the high schoolers, and a couple different things was going on at the same time, so everyone's kind of pulled in different directions. And it just so happened that um, we, had no, we had nobody in the seats. We had our worship team up on the front, and we actually did have a couple junior hires, and then Brother Shane came over and took our junior hires, and he said he had to go practice with them over in the Sunday school. And we said, that's fine, as we just, oh no, what are we going to do? And so they left, and <laughs> there was nobody left in the seats. And of course, they had practiced for an hour a couple of songs that they were going to uh, sing for worship. And, and I'll be honest with you, I was unspiritual. And I turned to them and said, guys, we don't, we don't have to sing. There's literally nobody here. <laughs> we, can just, we can just keep practicing, or we can just go straight to my lesson. And that group said, no, no, we've practiced we want, to, we want to sing like it's real. And so we did to literally not a single person there. But you know what? They were singing to one person. They were singing and they were worshiping to one person. And, I'm tell, and I'll tell you what, the Holy Ghost moved in that youth room more than usual, I'll say. More than usual because you know why? We weren't embarrassed about anybody. There was no one... There was no one to hear us mess up. There was no one that we had to try to impress. But there was one person, there was one audience that we said, you know what, for a few moments, we're going to worship God anyway. And so we're going to play our music, we're going to play our instruments, we're going to use our voice, we're going to sing, and we're going to worship God. And the Holy Ghost began to move in that room. And we just kept singing that same verse over and over and over. We're just going to worship Him. Why are you doing that? Because we're only singing to one person. Whether there's people here in the seats to hear it or not, we're singing to the Lord. We want to magnify the Lord. That's, that's putting on that new man. That's putting on that new man and as a body. And I, I'm so thankful for that experience that they, that they got to have that, that the Lord gave that to us. And I know that might sound kind of weird. I'm so thankful that no one was there. But, but it just so happened that the Lord moved and, um, and we're thankful for him for that. Colossians 3.17, this is my last verse. And I, I know I'm standing between you and cake, which is a dangerous place to be. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17 says, whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Everything we do, whether just by mouth and word or in action, whether it's here at church, whether it's at home, whether it's in work, wherever you find yourself doing, do it in the name of the Lord. And, you know, I was, I was reading and trying to study that and it doesn't literally mean everything you do say in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, everything you do. But everything you do, you should be thinking, would Jesus be okay with me invoking his name here? 
Would Jesus be okay with me, whatever activity I find myself in, whatever group of people I find myself in, whatever activity I'm doing, would Jesus be okay with the words that I'm saying right now? Would, can I say the name of Jesus in the same breath that I'm saying this? Can I, be, can I say the name of Jesus and still do this activity? And that will pretty much cut out anything that you're doing wrong. It's a pretty simple test there. But do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And finally, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Doing everything, worshiping Him, thanking Him because He is good, because He gives us the power. It says all this started off by removing the old man and putting on the new man. That is not something we can do on our own. And in fact, the Old Testament stopped at the old man. When I, the first set of verses I read, where I talked about the old man, I said, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Root out that, root out that, root out that. That was the Old Testament. That's how the Old Testament ended. The New Testament, Jesus provided a way. He said, I'm not only going to tell you not to do those things, but I'm going to give you the power. I'm going to give you the power to overcome. I'm going to give you the power for your own self to have that new man to operate in you. And then corporately as a church, how to operate, how, how to interact with one another, and how to put all these attributes together. Um, and because of all of that, we just got to give them thanks. We got to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your power. That's right. Give them a, uh, go ahead and put your hands together. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we love you, God. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your, for the Holy Ghost, God, for making a way, Lord. In Jesus' name. Pastor, I'm done. You can come.